You can say amen. amen. So I want to welcome all of you who are here and joined us. Uh, we have a little bit of a celebration I want to lift up at the beginning uh, for a few folks who are not here, and that's Joy and David, and a few other folks who are in Wimberley, because uh, this weekend, yesterday, uh, we got to celebrate the wedding of Joy and David. So when you see Joy and David, uh, congratulate them. Yeah, we're excited about that. So I want to start with a question today. Uh, how did you sleep? How many of you slept well? Say amen. amen. How many of you feel like you could use more sleep? Say amen. amen. How many of you are already asleep right now? <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's a strange question, right? People, uh, it, how did you sleep? How was the duration of your own consciousness, how was it? How was it? You know, that's, that's really what you ask. And, and how do you mess up sleep, right? You just lay down. How do people mess up sleep? But, but there's all kinds of ways you can mess up sleep. And one of the ways you mess up sleep is you eat too much chips and salsa. Because you wake up at 3 a.m. and it's like a desert in your mouth. Have you ever had that happen? You're like, water, water. And so I woke up the other day uh, from you know, needing some water, uh, and there I was, I got some water, and I, I went back to sleep, and I had a, a disturbing dream. I don't know about, I have the most vivid dreams, and I record them, I have a dream journal, because God speaks through dreams. He really does, and you ought to, just look at all the times God speaks through dreams in the Bible. And I had the most vivid dream, and here's what happened. I was standing in line, and I was in heaven, and I was standing in line, and I thought, uh, great, I made it to heaven. That's first thought. <laughs> Second thought is, uh, I can't believe there's a line in heaven. I mean, of all places, right, we don't want a line, right? It's just me? I mean, there shouldn't be a line. It's like, you know, anyway. So I'm standing there, and at the very front, of course, is, is God, and God is handing everyone uh, these packs of paper. And so I get up there, and God hands me my pack of paper, and I look at it, and it says, your life script. And so it's, it's, my, it's the script of my whole life. Everything is written down. And so I'm looking at, and I'm looking at the pages, and I go to the table of contents, and I go like past 50, because I already know what happened the first 50 years, right? So I wonder what happens in the future. How many of you would skip to the future? Huh? Just me. I'm feeling like I'm out on an island here today, friends. I don't like that feeling. Anyway, so this is my crazy dream. I scanned the pages and it didn't look right. My future, it didn't look right. So, got back in line. <laughs> For real. This is my dream. I, you know, you just do weird stuff in dreams, right? So I get back in line. I get back up to God. I'm like, I need a new one. <laughs> I don't think there's like, big enough parts in here for me in my future. I read the future and it's just not grandiose. I have bigger dreams than you've written down here. Uh, I mean, I'm willing to sign up for a bigger part than this. Can I have a new one? God said, no, get out of line. And so I woke up and I was disturbed. And Renee says, what's wrong with you? You can't sleep. And I go, I had the most disturbing dream. And I said, I dreamed that God did not give me a big enough part for my future. And I have much bigger dreams and a lot bigger roles. And I don't want to do great things. And, 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 and God was trying to humble me. And Renee's like, well, I think that was a real dream. <laughs> and I think you ought to listen. 
And I said, I think you need to go back to bed, Renee, because you're sleepy and you're not making sense right now. But she's like, oh, I'm making sense. I'm making lots of sense. And this really happened. So how many of you have ever gotten to a point in your life where you're following a role, you're following the script, and God just keeps sending you into humble scenes in life? Anyone? Well, I tell you what, uh, it's true for me. I'm, and if you didn't raise your hand, I wrote this message for me. Thank you for the rest of you showing up. <laughs> so, I mean, have you ever looked at your life? Have you ever just like stood there in the mirror and thought about your life and thought about, okay, this is where I'm at financially. This is where I'm at in my relationships. This is where I'm at as a father. This is where I'm at as a husband. This is where I'm at as in my career. This is who I am. And what if, what if right now, this is as good as it gets? Like what if it's all downhill from here? Just me? Okay. I mean, I'm all for being humble, right? But what if no one notices? <laughs> I want you to notice. This message today is born out of experiences I've had over the last month. It's really true. And I love reading Ralph Waldo Emerson, a great writer and great poet, but also a minister, by the way. Uh, and he wrote, a great man is always willing to be little. Amen? So I want to tell you about Georgine Johnson. She's a, a great, a great a story. She lived in Cleveland, Ohio, and she was 42 years old, and she was trying to have a good attitude about getting older and being 42 years old, and she stood in, in a mirror and looked there one day and said, what if this is as good as it gets? And she, she said, I, I don't like the way I look, so she began to exercise to try to get in shape, and she said, I'm not going to look like a 42-year-old, or at least I'm going to look like a good 42. You ever said that? <laughs> ever said that? The other day, Zachary said to me, Dad, I was dressed in uh, shorts and a shirt and had flip-flops on, and it was typical corporate wear. And Zach goes, Dad, you look like a typical 46-year-old dad. <laughs> I go, thanks for taking four years off. I appreciate that. It's good. So she, she started running, and Georgine Johnson was running. She was doing well in her running. She was getting up. You know, she was training, training. And finally, she thought, you know what? I'm going to enter a race. And so she enters a 10K race, and that's about six miles, if you don't know. And she was nervous about her first race, so she got up earlier. It's the very first race. She got up, and, and to her surprise, at the race, there was a lot of people milling around, getting ready for the race. And all of a sudden, a voice on the microphone says, move to the starting line. And a gun sounded, and everybody was off. And so she's, she's running, and she's like, wow, there's a lot of people in this race. And it's just a huge wave of people. And she's running and running. And about mile four, you know, if you only run five or six miles a day, you know when you're almost done, okay? Trust me, I do try to do five miles on elliptical five days a week, and by mile four, you know when it's mile four, okay? So anyway, she's at mile four, and she's like, why is everyone not turning around? So she asked one of the officials, why are they not turning around? And, and he said, uh, ma'am, you're running the Cleveland Marathon, which is 26 miles. And her event, the 10K, was gonna start a half hour after the marathon. Now, how many of us would have stopped right there and said, that's it, I'm done? To her credit, to her credit, she finished the race. She died right afterwards, but no, she didn't. She didn't die. That's a terrible joke. That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> this is why I got the life script I got. Trust me, this is why. So anyway... 
she finished the race and she said these words, this is not the race I trained for. This is not the race I entered, but for better or for worse, this is the race that I am in. Is that not a metaphor for life? I mean, how many of you have gotten handed your script in life? You got handed circumstances and you said, I didn't sign up for this. But life changes without asking if it's, if it's okay to change, right? For sure. Life has a way of doing that to us, picking us up and putting us into situations that we didn't train for, that we didn't volunteer for, that we didn't want. But for better or for worse, like a marriage, there you are. And I love my marriage. <laughs> Right, baby doll? Okay. But think about it. There are people, there are people who get handed situations that they never asked for. And they get put in a race that they never wanted to run. Divorce. Most people, most people never said, I hope to get married and have a wonderful divorce one day. But divorce happens. Sickness. Most of us, we're healthy till we're not. And nobody ever wants sickness. Nobody likes being sick. My dad is scheduled to get out of rehab after having COVID, after having terrible COVID and damage from COVID. He's scheduled to get out at the end of March, March 31st. He's finally breathing and walking now without oxygen, supplemental oxygen. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. We're happy about that. Yeah. But I guarantee you, my dad said, uh, I don't want to sign up for 132 days in rehab. Anybody? No, thanks. So what about getting older? Getting older, is that easy? Is that fun? No, 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 no. As John Mayer sings in his song, I'm only good at being young. <laughs> Disappointment does this to us. Uh, I thought my life was gonna be different. How many of you ever said, this is not where I thought I'd be at this stage in my life? Yeah. <laughs> if you, if you wanna hear that statement, just go to a, a financial planner <laughs> and they'll go, oh, uh-oh, <laughs> you got a lot of catching up to do. This isn't the race I entered. I mean, how many of you ever said to, to God, God, I want a new life script, please, please give me a new life script. Yeah. I mean, before my dream happened, I'm thinking I'm perfect. I only have four flaws. I lack humility. I'm inconsistent. And number three, I can't count. Okay. Seriously, that was a joke. It was a terrible joke. Seriously, if there's one thing I'm better that, that, than everyone else in this room, it's humility. Okay. Another bad joke, yes, yes. Richard Rohr, who is a wonderful writer and the only uh, Franciscan monk that I, I, I really, the only Catholic monk I really like, uh, is, uh, is a great writer. And he has a great book that you ought to read. It's called Falling Upward, Falling Upward. And he said for years he prayed that God would give him one good humiliation a day. You ever prayed that prayer? God, give me one good humiliation a day. And he tries to pay attention to how he responds. It's not that he wants to fall on a banana peel or have some insult or drop his cup of coffee in the middle of a conversation or, or experience a face-reddening embarrassment every day. He's praying for this. He's praying that, that something in his life checks his ideal image of himself, right? You all have an ideal image of yourself and then there's reality, Right? Have you, ever, have you ever looked at a picture and you thought, I don't look like that. I'm much thinner. <laughs> Sometimes when I watch these services, I'm like, I do not look like this. 
I'm glad y'all showed up today. But Richard Rohr says he's checking to see if he's just building himself up or if he's truly doing God's work. And one daily humiliation a day will do that. Now the word humiliation, like the word humble, has the roots of humus, which means earth or close to the ground. In other words, that which out of what we are created. In other words, that's what we really are. See, the Bible says you are dust. And, and if I do your funeral service, I will say to dust you shall return, right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Humiliation is to recognize that this flesh is dirt. It's dirt. I one time had a, a Hare Krishna uh, Hindu um, guy who ran my sound. His name was T.K. Plummer, wonderful guy. He ran our sound in California at my church there. And the first day I met him, he walked in and he had a white stripe all the way down his nose like this. And he wanted to meet with me. And so this is how my office manager comes in and tells me, hey, there's some dude with pigeon poop on his nose wants to meet with you. <laughs> That's what she said. I was like, what? Pigeon poop on his nose? What? So I go out there and I'm like, okay. so I got to know him. And I'm like, so what's up with the pigeon poop? Come on, what's up with that? And he, and, and he said, look, it's a symbol that we do. And I actually like this. It's a symbol that he puts on his face every day to remind him that he is dirt, that his flesh is going away one day. It's a humil- sign of humility, right? So you are just dust, ashes to ashes. So turn to your neighbor and say, you are some good looking dirt. Go ahead and say that right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're just dirt. Oh Lord, won't you humble us? Give me one humiliation a day. How many of you are on like the three humiliation day program? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a prayer we actually hear in the third chapter of Colossians. Paul writing, Paul always has this language about being clothed in Christ. And what's he saying? He's saying, now, unless you are three years old and your mommy picks out your clothing, each of you uh, got up this morning and maybe with the help of your wife, like me, uh, but you said, hey, does this tie match? Uh, Does this brown belt look okay with brown shoes? I do, I ask those questions, but each of us take responsibility for what we put on, right? We all put on clothing, right? And you are aware of the dress code here at Grace, right? Yes? Yes, you know what the dress code is? Put something on, that's the dress code. Okay, and so Colossians says, put something on. And the Bible talks about this literal act of putting something on. And the Bible says, put on the right clothing, choose the right clothing. And it's so interesting because John the Baptist is clothed in camel skin and a leather belt. Herod is described as putting on his royal robe. It's the same word used in Colossians. Hold on to this because at the very end of the sermon, we're going to talk about clothing. Uh, And in Colossians, Paul urges us to clothe ourselves with these qualities like humility, And again, scripture says, humble yourselves and what? And God will exalt you. The early Christian theologian, Archbishop John Chrysostom said, if pride is the root of sin, which I think it is, then humility is the root or mother or nurse and foundation and bond of all virtue. So what is it the Lord requires of you, says Micah the prophet? These things do justice, love mercy, and walk what? Walk humbly with your God. Now, I love this story. Speaking of daily humiliation, how many of you remember uh, Don Shula, who used to coach the Miami Dolphins, huh? 
Yeah, Dan Marino, I mean, one of the best arms, you know. Dan Marino had three guys hanging on him and throw it 60 yards, perfect spiral, right? Don Shula was a great coach. And Don Shula is, of course, known as the coach who coached the only NFL team that went undefeated still to this day, uh, that, you know, and had the most wins in NFL history. And this is a true story about Don Shula, and I love this story. It was actually published in the St. Petersburg's time. Don Shula and his family was vacationing in northern Maine, a long way off from Miami, okay, right? That's pretty far. Anyhow, after it was raining in Maine. He's vacationing with his children, and they wanted to do something fun, but it was raining, so they decided to go to a theater to watch a matinee. Remember before COVID, we used to go to movie theaters? You know, that was a joke. Anyhow, uh, when they arrived, the lights were still on in the theater. There were only six people present in the theater. When Shula and his family walked into the theater, people stood up and they applauded. Does that happen to you? They just applauded. And, and Don Shula kind of waved and smiled. And he sat down and he turned and he said to his wife, he said, you know, it's amazing. I'm all the way from Miami and we're up here in Maine and people are giving us standing ovations or applauding. They must really appreciate my coaching, you know. And then a man came up to shake Don Shula's hand. And Shula, Shula just beamed and he said, how did you recognize me? How did you recognize me? And the man replied, man, I don't know who you are. All I know is before you walked in, the theater manager told us, unless four more people turned up, we wouldn't have a movie today. <laughs> now that's a great story, right? I mean, that is humiliating, right? Like, and you can imagine he sat down and looked at his wife. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the sermon in a sentence. And the reason I started doing this is because Eddie Mopas can take 45 minutes and do it in a sentence. So I thought I ought to be able to do this. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can be born in you. And nothing of heaven can live in you if you have nothing but pride. Amen. Humility is to make the right estimate of oneself. Humility is thinking of yourself lightly and to think deeply of others. Albert Einstein said it this way, I speak to everyone the same way, whether it's the garbage man or the president of the university. So humility is not self-hatred. It is not laziness. It is not giving into some low position into which we've been forced. It is not thinking you know, that you're not a child of God. That, that's the wrong form of humility. It is actually an awareness of our need for God and our need for help and our need for God's love and forgiveness. It is an awareness that I need God in my life. Amen? So the disciples learned this. They thought they could spend their whole life. And the disciples, when they were following Jesus, they thought Jesus is going to be like King Solomon. He's going to be like King David. And so we get to sit at the right and the left and we get to be the king's advisors and we're going to be the VIPs. And, and of course, it was not the case because Jesus would say confusing things to them. He would say, look, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me and live and love as I do. And then Jesus goes on to say, if you're gonna be my disciple, you've gotta deny yourself. Deny yourself, which means pride isn't gonna do you any good here. So Jesus encourages his disciples to take with them the clothing on their journey of humility. And when I think about the life script that God has handed me, and I look back at previous chapters, how many times have I wanted to take out an eraser and rewrite it? 
Uh, specifically when it comes to my actions, right? I've been tempted to rewrite the script of your life. And of course, Jesus says, look, you gotta let your old self go and let your new self come to being. And when you decide to follow Jesus, you put down the script that you're writing and you pick up the one that God hands you and the one that God handed you and you get this new script. So you have to leave behind your old old dreams, your old future, and now you have God's dreams and God's future. And if you have faith, you can actually let that go. But it's difficult. So God keeps putting me through these humbling circumstances so that I will accept the life script that God's handed me. Amen? I'll give you an example from previous times. Uh, I remember being uh, 31 years old back in the day, a long time ago, and uh, we had uh, moved to California and we were going to serve a church called First Congregational Church in Escondido, uh, which is a bedroom community of San Diego, beautiful place. And it cracked me up, people in San Diego cracked me up because in the summertime, it got all the way up to 84 degrees. And people were like, it's so hot. I might have to buy an air conditioner. And Renee and I would just chuckle. 84 is a spring day, amen? All right, so we moved to California, the land of the, uh, where they have unicorns in the backyards because the housing prices are so high, okay? Trust me, there's unicorns running around somewhere. I never saw one, but believe me. So I bought my starter house for $387,000, track one, two, or three. Track two was, it was all of 1,600 square feet for a family of four. And it was $387,000. I made $95,000 a year at my church there, and I went to get a loan. <laughs> Welcome to step one of humility. My wife had just had Zachary. She was not working. And so the bank said, you don't make enough money to buy the house. That was USA. I called another bank. And I love USA. And they said, we have this program called the no-doc loan, and it's based on your credit score. So if you have good credit and you don't have to produce no, any documentation uh, that you make that amount of money, however much money you say you make. And I said, are you serious? And they said, yes. And now you know why banks got in trouble. Because I told him, I make 95000 a year. He said, call me back in five minutes and tell me you make 135000 a year. Okay. <laughs> called him back. This is John Roberts. I make $135,000 a year. Congratulations. We'll get your loan ready. Wow. So there I was. Now listen, this was, this was one of my first real jobs, okay? Because when I was in the Methodist church, they paid me a whopping sum of $28,000 a year for about eight years. Total package. My wife said, why don't we get another church that actually pays you? So I went to the UCC. This is just telling you, being honest, completely, brutally honest with you here. In fact, I'm embarrassed now that I shared that. But anyhow, <laughs> and just speaking out loud to myself. So anyhow, so we keep going down the road here, and uh, we're proud. We own a $387,000 house. It's very, very small. I was proud. My mortgage was $3,500 a month. We didn't put up any pictures. We couldn't afford anything else. We're eating a lot of macaroni and cheese. But I was very, very proud. Look what I own, or look what the bank owns, but look what I own, right? Blah, blah, blah. So Renee's parents fly out to see our house in California. <laughs> I am thinking they'll be proud. I'm thinking they'll love it. So Renee's mom gets out of the car 
And, and now, granted, our houses are very close. Like, there's like two feet. Like, you can rip up the window, and I could high-five the guy next to me. Okay, that's how close the houses were. Seriously, I could flush his toilet from my window, okay? <laughs> so anyway, so the houses are very, very close. And uh, I'm very, very proud. Look at my house. This is where we live. Look, I'm taking care of your baby doll all the way from Texas. We're here in California. And Renee's mom gets out of the car and she goes, oh, my word. Oh, my God. Oh, Renee, you poor thing. Come here. (laughs) And starts hugging on Renee. She's like, if you need to come home, it's okay. What in the name of humility is going on? Now, granted, Renee's parents, you know, they come from a 220-acre ranch in Bryan, Texas, where they have cows and oil flowing and space and trees. and They can't even see their neighbors. Yeah, they're 220 acres. You have to shoot a gun to hit your neighbors. She says, I'm sorry, you have to live like this? This is terrible. You're so close to your neighbors. I said, but hey, free Wi-Fi. I hacked into the neighbors. I know their password. They're Chargers fans. They're Chargers fans. I typed in Chargers. I got free Wi-Fi. She was, she was upset that Renee was living that way. And I was like, 3,500 a month to live this way. See, the biggest challenge after any success in life is shutting up about it. Amen. So anyway, God, can I get another life script? Another humbling time in California that I actually learned uh, was our, our clock radio was set to a radio station that gave the frequent traffic and weather updates. And sometimes I would lie there in bed at 6 a.m. and I would listen to the announcers say things like this. You want to avoid 605 northbound. They're clearing a fatal accident. It's Lawson. And then you go on with other conditions on other freeways. And this is my thought that I had. Some guy left his house early this morning to head to work, probably didn't even say goodbye to his still-sleeping family, and didn't realize he only had minutes left on this earth, and they only mentioned him on the radio to say that his death created a traffic jam. And that's very humbling to me, is it not? And as you know, on 9-11, thousands of New Yorkers headed for work on what seemed to be a normal day, but because of the evil plans of a few suicidal fundamentalists, religious fundamentalists, who thought in the name of God we should fly planes into uh, buildings, ended the lives of, of 3,000 plus Americans. So the Bible reminds us as a, you know, as a way of humbling us, your days are numbered, so number your days. That's Psalm 90 verse 12. And teach us to number our days so that we may have a heart of wisdom. And if you're part of my Bible study, you've heard me say that a bunch of times. And what the Bible means by this is that, that time is limited and time will swallow your precious time. And there are only so many hours in a day, and there are only so many days in your life. And time is a limited resource. And so you need to treat it as if you're going to make your time count. And so the Bible teaches us to view your life as brief and quickly passing, and your days are numbered, so number your days. So David writes this, and this, I actually do this. I actually know uh, how many days statistically I have left. It is under 9,800 days, okay? I'm under 10,000. I'm not happy about it. Okay, you actually ought to do that. Get out a calculator. You can do it. If you need help after the service, I'll show you. David writes, and we're, you're doing a biblical thing. David writes, show me, O Lord, my life's end. Give me my life script, right? And the number of my days, and let me know how fleeting is my life. 
Time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it. You can only use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, you can never get it back. The Bible is saying people who know the value of time are always doing something valuable with their time. Amen? I don't know if you saw this recently, though, the new device the scientists are working on called the Death Test Watch. Have anyone seen this? Just me. I'm just, <laughs> just uh, I just keep feeling more and more weird up here. It's okay. It's all right, really. It is a watch-like contraption that you wear on your wrist that measures the vitality of your cells inside your capillaries and basically tells you how much longer you have to live. It will tell you approximately you have three years left. Here's the headline of the article. Scientists invent skin prodding, skin prodding laser device to tell you when you'll die. Thanks, science. Now, you're going to have to really work on the marketing for this, right? Can you imagine? What do you want for Christmas? Do you want the Apple Watch or the death test watch? Which one? <laughs> Here's the closing line from the article. The hope is that people will use the watch to better their health and improve their lives. But there's also concern that the device may lead to depression. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I have 30 minutes left. What? What kind of watch is this? Now, I am not recommending you immediately leave here today and go out and buy a death test watch. Uh, but the Bible does say, hey, number your days, pay attention, have an awareness of the fleetingness of your time. Your time on earth is limited and make wide decisions. I love how Vince Coach Lombardi said, I never lost a game. I just ran out of time. I like that. So God's word says, and again, George Bernard says it this way, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. You would think that just because death is probable and death is, you know, not just probable, it's absolutely certain, and it can happen any minute that each person would stand. And here's the sobering thing about this. You know, in my dream, I was standing before God and he was handing me a life script. But over 11 times in the New Testament, it says you'll stand before God and give an accounting for your life. In other words, you'll review your life script with God. Did you, did you do what I wanted you to do there or not? Uh-oh, right? And so it's very, very humbling. And James writes, the brother of Jesus, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. So James is saying, have a spirit of humility. Don't just think you're going to go out and make lots of money and be very, very successful, but be humble before God. Okay, that's what he's saying. So everything is a gift. If you read James, he's saying everything is a gift in your life. The very beat of your heart, the breath in your lungs, it's all a gift from God. Amen? Absolutely. And sometimes it takes looking at other people's life script and then suddenly you get happy about your life script. Have you ever done that? You're like, oh, I don't like this part. But then you see another person's life script and you're like, oh, I'll keep mine. And I'll tell you where I learned this. Where I met Renee and Jesus was a beautiful camp in New Braunfels and it's a Christian summer camp and it's where I got my calling to ministry. I learned a bunch of sappy songs, but I also learned about humility, and I learned it from reading someone else's life script. Now, one week in the summer, we had uh, a week-long camp for children with disabilities, 
And it was a week that we called a challenge week. And people would come in with various disabilities. I mean, kids in wheelchairs trying to experience camp. And it's very, very difficult sometimes for them. And there was a 10-year-old boy named Justin. And Justin had a chronic illness that caused tumors to grow throughout his body, both internally and externally. And, but I love Justin's spirit. He had a wonderful spirit. He'd been through multiple surgeries. He even actually had a trach. He had a trach in his, you know, to ease his breathing. And as you know, anything, a trach cannot be submerged. So it made it particularly challenging for Justin to do his favorite thing in camp, which he wanted to do so bad, which was a thing called the blob. Have you ever seen the blob? We're going to show you a video of the blob. It's a giant rubber-like balloon filled with air placed in a pool or lake. Yeah, you're watching it right now. So one person positions themselves on the edge. Another one jumps into it and sends them flying and flipping into the air. Uh, that's pretty... It is a great thing when you're 15 and you're flexible and limber. If you do that today, you'll be in the ER. Uh, your tie will be short. You, will need not, you do not need to wear the death watch. Death will be coming to you quickly. Trust me. So it's a young person's game, right? And Justin wanted to do the blob. And we're like, oh, this guy's got a trach. He's in a wheelchair. How are we going to do the blob? He was like, he was sending the camp letters. Are you on my team? Are you on Justin's blob team? And I'm like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do the blob with Justin? So we had to figure out a way. So there's 10 counselors together. And we're like, we got to figure out a way that Justin can do the blob, you know. And so the whole camp is watching, and he comes to the pool. He takes off his robe. He climbs the blob tower with several of his team, and he jumped. Well, he jumped, but basically a handful of us lowered him onto the blob, and then we kind of threw him up in the air a little bit, but we made sure he didn't go in the water. He landed on the other end of the blob, and he rolled off, and he was just so happy and so victorious, and it was a lot of work, and it was a lot of, you know, it was sort of cheesy, and you'd probably go, you didn't really do the blob, but he did the blob, you know? He did the blob, and we just, he was so happy. And to me, when he was, he was just like, came up, I did the blob, you know? And he didn't get wet, he didn't go in the water or anything. But to me, the kingdom of God came near through his humility. And I'm reminded of this because I still have the note that he gave me on this faded yellow construction paper with a message, thank you, blob team, love Justin. And he gave us a little, a little cross made out of popsicle sticks tied together with twine. And it's the most beautiful cross to this day, you know. It's not worth anything to anybody else, but it is to me. It's a fitting symbol, right? A reminder that humility can change anything. It's interesting when you look at John the Baptist's life, John the Baptist had followers, okay? He had lots of followers. He had supporters. He's the cousin of Jesus. And we don't have a lot of recorded words from John the Baptist, but one of the main lines in his life script is when Jesus begins to do ministry and travel throughout the world, John says, he must become greater, meaning Jesus, and I must become less. How many of us are willing to say, Jesus, you must become greater and I must become less? You know, in your script, is that in your script to make Jesus greater while yourself less? Boy, in my dream, I wanted a greater script, you know? And I think Renee is probably right. That's really how I feel. One of Renee and I's favorite places to eat, it was actually given to us uh, by Arnold Ott, uh, uh, who has now gone to his heavenly uh, home, a longtime member of Grace. And when I got here, I said, where's a good Italian place? And Arnold said, you got to go to Frank's Spaghetti House. Anyone here eating at Frank's Spaghetti House? 
Okay, very good. Keep supporting Frank's Spaghetti House. It's the best, best. It's, now, where is it at? If you really know, you, where is it at? Leopard Street. How many of you love Leopard Street? <laughs> Don't put your hand up. Not a good thing. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not like Leopard Street, Ocean Drive. Which one do I want to go down? But if you want to go to Frank's Spaghetti House, you got to go to Leopard Street. Um, and Renee and I have told the, the, the managers, and owners, y'all need to move over to the south side, you know? But Renee and I are driving, uh, and it's a Friday night. I'm pretty exhausted. I don't want to see anybody from church, no offense. I just want time alone with Baby Doll. And we're driving down Leopard Street. They have all kinds of construction going on on that road, just like everywhere in Corpus. And um, we're, we get out, and... Renee forgot her mask, and there's a guy sitting on the curb, right? And he's obviously homeless, and he's disheveled, and he, he has this kind of look of dignity about him. I'm like, this is the most dignified homeless person I've seen. And he's sitting on the corner of the curb, and he's looking at me and Renee, and I could tell he's looking at me and Renee, and I'm thinking to myself, what you all are thinking when you're approached by a homeless person. They're going to ask me for money. How many of you have that thought? because that's what happens. So he's looking at me, and we get out of Renee's car, which is a nice car, and he goes, nice ride. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> nice ride. Anyhow, so Renee can't find her mask, so she's fumbling around, so now I'm like, would she hurry up, because I don't want to have a conversation with a homeless guy. I don't feel like helping anybody right now, okay? I'm in John selfish mode. I know you have never been there, but that's where I was at that time. And so he's looking at me, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, here it's going to come. It's going to come. The question, the question's going to come. Can you, can you give me some money? And so we're having this awkward silence, just me and him. We're having a stare down, me and the homeless guy. And I'm like, Renee, can you hurry up? I can't find it. She's digging in her purse. The car door's open. <sighs> so funny. <laughs> funny, I, I look at him. I go, hey, do you need any help? And he looks right at me, and he pauses. And I'm thinking he's going to ask for a spare change. And, you know, all I say is, do you need any help? And he answers me in three simple, profound words I'll never forget. I mean, we often look for wisdom through academics and through sermons and through well-educated, but I expected nothing from him but an outstretched, dirty, grimy hand. And I said to him, do you need any help? And he says three words back to me, and he says, don't we all? And I'm like, oh, Great. God is always with me all the time. Here he is, Jesus, reminding me that I need help. Don't we all? Don't we all? I was feeling high and almighty, driving on a nice ride to have a nice meal, successful, all important. And here this bum reminds me, don't we all need help? And don't we all? Now, you may look nice today. You may look pretty. You may be dressed up nice. You may have driven here on a nice ride. But the truth is, all of us in this room and all of us watching online have brokenness and we all need help. Now, I may not need the same sort of help he needs. I, I didn't need a bus fare. I didn't need a place to sleep. But I said to him, would you like a meal from Frank's Spaghetti House? He said, I sure would. He said, would you deliver it out here? I said, I sure will. So there I was, DoorDash. 
I go into Frank's Bay House. I'm like, hey, man, can you give me a chicken parm? So I go, and I want to sit down, but I need to. So I got him Italian food. He smiled and said yes, and I said, thanks, Jesus. And he looked at me funny. He said, I'm not Jesus. I said, oh, yeah, you are. I recognize you. You just spoke to my heart. So no matter how much you have, no matter how accomplished you are, no matter how loaded you are, no matter how unloaded you are, no matter whether you have a place to sleep or not a place to sleep, uh, everyone needs help. Every one of us. A different perspective is what I needed. And maybe God put in that bum's life script to minister to me, a minister whose soul was way too comfortable to help me know that everyone needs help, don't we all? So God whispered to my soul, every person that you meet, John, knows something you don't. Learn from them. Every person you meet knows something you don't know. Learn from them. So I've been reading this classic book, and I'm rereading this classic book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Anybody read that book? Yeah, it's a great book. You ought to read it. And it's the ultimate torture device is something called the total perspective vortex. And how does it work? Well, in the words of the author, Douglas Adams, when you're put in the vortex, you're given just one momentary glimpse of the entire unimaginable infinity of creation. And somewhere in its little tiny mark, a microscopic dot on a microscopic dot, it says, you are here. Right? You ever seen those pictures of when you're in the in the Milky Way, and you're just this little tiny dot, and that's you, right? You want to feel small? Get on a cruise ship. Get out in the middle of the ocean and think about jumping off. Because a cruise ship looks real big in the port, real small in the ocean. So humbled people who, the, the author says, when you get this sense of perspective, you get humbled, right? And you, you get overwhelmed, and you get defeated. But I have found this reality to be actually quite refreshing. And if you take on the virtue, if you put on the clothing of humility, it can be quite refreshing. It really can. Now ride with me a little bit on this, because think about this. Without me, the sun comes up in the morning and the stars twinkle at night. Before I've gotten out of bed in the morning, the earth has spun one third of its way around its axis, and three billion people have known and done their best to try to increase their happiness and mitigate their suffering, all without me. I remember when I was, played basketball and I missed a free throw at the end of the game and we lost the game. And my dad comforted me this way. Well, John, just remember, three billion people in China know nothing of this. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> These are the gems I keep. But since I'm not in charge, I get to enjoy and relax, right? The sun's going to rise with or without us. And I'm free to appreciate things in life when things are going my way and to handle things when they're not going my way. Free to love and contribute and make up there come down here, God's kingdom come. Free to go out and create the kind of life that God wants me to create. Free to get lessons from the homeless on Leopard Street. The freedom to enjoy life and try to contribute to life, to have fun. So humility means remembering that most of life is not up to you. It never was. But if you do your bit and you play your part, it's remarkable how far you can go and how much you can do to make God's kingdom come when you really start to focus on, I got to become less and Jesus must become greater. So the next night, I had the exact same dream. And you know, when you go back in dreams, that means your, your mind is really trying to process this, right? If you have a recurring dream, 
If you have a recurring nightmare, that means you are, have some unsettled business, right? So I go back in the dream and I'm actually standing there in line and I want to hand God my script again. And this time when I get up to God, God doesn't take my script. He just points. And he points and I look at where he's pointing and suddenly I see Jesus. And Jesus is there and Jesus is reading the life script that God gave him. And I think about the words that Jesus had written in his script. The greatest among you will be a servant. In the Gospel of Luke, to make sure that we really understand that, Jesus' life script says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as, as a ransom for you and me, for many. In the last night with his disciples, right, Jesus took a towel and a basin, and he did the lowest of the low. He washed the feet of the disciples and said, you should do this as well. So the movement right? The, the movement that bears his name, which is called the way, because they were called people the way. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, right? The resurrection. People of the way, or Christianity was founded on humility and service instead of authority and power and love and generosity instead of pre- prestige and privilege. See, humility, it turns out, is the surest sign of strength. And think about this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took out his life script and he read it, and he reread it, and he was sweating blood and tears. And he said to God, God, if there's any way I can change this life script, if there's any way I can change this script, please, Lord, I'm open to plan B. But God said, no. And Jesus said, okay, I'll accept this script and I'll live out this life. And think of the things Jesus gave up, the right to get married and the right to have kids and the right to retire and a 401k and I'll give up my human dreams so that your dream, God, of making up there can come down here. And so that by my wounds, Jesus said, this whole world will be healed. And Philippians describes it very powerfully, being in the very nature of God. Jesus Christ did not see it something to be preserved or grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being found in human likeness, humbling himself. Did you notice what it says there? Even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And, you know, Paul talks about clothing, and we talked about putting on clothing, but what does this gospel say? The gospel says those who were killing him stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him because that was the color of royalty, the king of the Jews, the king of kings, And they clothed it in him, the text says. And it's the same word as Colossians, the same word for humility. And they led him out, crucified him, and they clothed him in humility. Humility, I think, is a lost key, a forgotten virtue in our day. In a day when we're all consumed about the gender of a plastic potato. What are you concerned about today? Oh, the gender of Mr. Potato Head. Really? Is this all we have time for? Humility is a forgotten virtue, but we should dust that shirt off and pull it out of the closet and put it on because we all need some help in our lives, don't we? Don't we all? We do. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to come together and be reminded of our need for you and our life. Humility, Lord, is just a way of saying we need you in our lives. We can't make it without you. We're not right without you. We are fallen and broken and we all need help. Whether we're homeless or have a beautiful home, 
We all need help. We all need something in this world. And pride must die in us if something of heaven is going to be born in us. So help us, God, to give up that pride. As, as the scripture says, pride is that little bit of yeast that puffs us up. It doesn't do us any good. So God, I pray that all of us will decide to wear the clothing of humility, to accept the life script that we've been given, and to focus on how we might become less and Jesus might become greater. Father, may we internalize those words, may we live out those words, because the reality is that life will humble us anyway. What if this is as good as it gets? And that's okay, as long as your kingdom is coming and your will is being done, Lord. Up there is coming down here. Help us, God, to be on that focus, to be part of that team and be accepting. Just as Jesus was accepting of his life script, let us accept the life script that you call us to serve others and to humble ourselves. We pray this in the name of Christ who taught us as we say now together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our day of bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.